This is the Home Service Expert Podcast with Tommy Mello. Let's talk about bringing in some more money for your home service business. Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the home service millionaire, Tommy Mello. Hey there, folks. It's Tommy Mello with the Home Service Expert coming back at you. I'm here with Michael Baldwin today. And Michael, how's your day going there in New York right now? Uh, it's a rainy, wet, and cold day in New York today. <laughs> What's the temperature? Uh, I think it's 48 <sighs> Fahrenheit. You know, we're at 58 in Phoenix, and it, everybody bought jackets, sweatshirts, mittens. You walk outside right now, and everybody thinks it's like below zero. It's so funny. Wow. <laughs> so, Michael, you've had a, a crazy background. You've done acting. You've uh, you've done a lot of marketing. You've worked a little bit with Steve Jobs in the past. Tell me a little bit about where you are today and how you got there. Today, I would say I'm in my seventh year or sixth year of or seventh year, I guess. Uh, being an entrepreneur in my own business. And I, uh, as we talked about earlier, I a pretty non-linear path to get here, which started with being a pre-med student and getting into medical school and then deciding I didn't want to go. And then um, realizing I was kind of obsessed with advertising. So I spent 25 years in the advertising business as an account guy. And my interest really lied in technology. So I focused on only technology accounts like Apple and Compaq and IBM and digital and SAP and Next, and I moved to New York actually to run the next business. And Steve Jobs, my client, I met him in '89 and actually stayed in touch with him until the end. And then I did the next most logical nonlinear thing after uh, 25 years of advertising. I, I studied as an actor in New York for three and a half years. And then I uh, did a brief stint for a year and a half while I was going on castings at the Apple Store as a presenter, which I loved, and then worked for a London based company. Uh, that specialized in in speaking, presenting, and presence and leadership. And then I decided that there was kind of an opportunity to, in this presentation and branding areas to start my own practice, which I did in about in basically January 2011. Okay, and tell me a little bit about what you got going on right now for the for the uh, listeners. Uh, basically, if you go to Baldwin.com, you'll see I have main offerings, but I spend most of my time helping senior uh, clients and a lot of C-suite clients in two main areas. One in the branding and naming and naming structure area. And then the other one is for speaking and presenting. So I do a lot of group work, seven or six people over the course of a day. I have a day program, which is what led to the book that I have out now called Just Add Water. And then a lot of one-on-one work with CEOs, COOs, CMOs, et cetera. Okay, so... How important do you think, you know, I'm out here, I have a podcast, obviously, I'm growing my personal brand. How important is speaking to a personal brand? Interesting. That's an interesting question. Being an incredible speaker, presenter slash speaker, whether it's in a personal context, like a rehearsal dinner context or a eulogy context uh, or a political context. Or business context. Having that credential, I, I always tell people it's, it's kind of a credential with no peer because it's, it's all good and it's something you, if you have it, 
you're by definition distinguishing yourself. So as it relates to your own brand, if people know you to a certain level, but then they also know you as an unbelievable speaker, it just elevates everything about you and your business or, or you and your personal brand. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen even politicians, and if they're a good speaker, like Bill Clinton, for example, I've talked to several people that have been in the same room as him, and, and they say, well, when he spoke, they felt like he was speaking directly to them. And I think I've done a lot of public speaking, but I don't think I'm nowhere near the potential of where I could be. And when it comes to personal brands, it seems like that's that's one of the largest things to grow a personal brand. Does that seem like one of the top things that you would say will really get you out there? Yeah, well, actually, in the book and my teaching, one thing I say often is that nothing will advance your career faster than developing your ability to communicate. Nothing. And I have many clients who would attest to that, who in the course of my working with them over, you know, for a number of years, they've gone from one job to the next job. They've gone from one level to another level. Their brand has flourished and their credibility, and I wouldn't use the word celebrity, but they're just became more of a senior leadership presence where they work. Yeah, I think that when you think about the whole process of of becoming a better communicator, not only in, in your business life, but also in your personal life, you know, I think my girlfriend more than anybody wants me to become a better communicator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of home service entrepreneurs don't understand. They don't see the the importance of branding. And I've seen a lot of companies actually do very, very well in the past without a good brand. And I think they're starting to see as every year goes by with Google, the review sites, more marketing styles that are committed to brands. It's changing. And I don't think they're going to exist in the next few years. Tell me a little bit about how important it is to develop a brand, even in the home service niche. So I was thinking about this, and I don't think it's any different than if you want to just imagine an analogous situation. For example, you're filling out your own profile and you're about to step into online dating. No brand would mean there is really no description, none of your personal interests, none of your background maybe not even a picture of what you know of yourself that would be zero brand for you now you know how much how much interest do you think you're going to get if that's what you've done which is basically nothing so likewise what a brand does well it, first it makes the owner of the brand responsible for capturing the essence of what it is that they stand for product or service which in turn makes it very easy for people who are looking for that product or the service to find and select you. So on the one hand, the the onus is on the owner to figure that out and then to, to um, in a very consistent way, in my opinion, over, long, over time, let it become known in the community or wherever. And then it's, it's you start to, on the flip side, get to be known for what it is you, you, know, you stand for, your product or service, and you get a reputation. People all of a sudden, you know, over time, know you. So if you think of, Classic brands, and I don't like to say different whether you're a giant brand or a, or a home improvement or home, you know, the, the clients you deal with. Established brands like, you know, BMW, established brands like Coca Cola, established brands like Volvo or, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken or something. We've been 
exposed to so many impressions over so many years of consistent imagery and messaging for those bands. You know, they're like people we know. Yeah, and that changes everything. I mean, even bad media ends up being good media, and it's crazy how that works when there's a book called Brainfluence, and it really talks about the part of your brain that lights up when you hear a brand that you know, and it's more of an endorphin-releasing part of your brain. It just the serotonin, it talks about the process of how your brain works. And if it's something that you know, like the general for insurance or Geico, or it's obviously trusted because it's still around. And it's crazy how big a brand can be. I mean, even a brand with $0, like literally like, you know, I don't know this for a fact, but I know Sears has been struggling recently but the brand of Sears is still probably worth a ton of money to somebody. Tell me yeah. a little bit about well, that. Well, I would see you and raise you one in that, in that what you discussed about brands, you know, just imagine a family driving along, you know, any interstate highway and, and there you see the golden arches sign. Yeah, or you see the golden arches. You know, I mean, all of a sudden, in every one of the, of the minds of the people in that car, they know that brand, they know those French fries, they know that Big Mac, They've known it for years, and the next thing you know, they pull over and they're they're in there. That that's how it works. Yeah, and, and you know what? Even though Walmart, every once in a while, you might not have the best experience. You don't hate Walmart. You still go back there. You say because their messaging is so powerful. I just think it's amazing how powerful a brand is. And I don't think in the home service industry we ever think about brand. Like me, it's important to think about brand. Who am I? Who do I want people to first perceive me as? Well, first of all, I want them to know that you're going to be safe in our hands. Our guys do drug tests and background checks. Anybody that's going to be in your home around your family. I think that making sure that they know that we don't really care. Price is not as important as not having to see us every year, not knowing that your stuff's going to break down and knowing that we could come out there at midnight if we have to. And so many people always go on price. Talk to me a little bit, Michael, about... The guys that you've met, I'm sure you've met a lot of them in the past that say price is more important than brand. It's funny. I think Apple is a is a classic example of the perceived value of a brand persuading people all over the world to pay a lot more for desktop computers, laptop computers, phones, iPod, you know, MP3 players than they would have to pay for, a, you know, a lot of competitive products. I think Apple is a case in point that if you do enough work, in their case, you know, what, 30, they're, they're over 30-year-old company, they've invested so much money over 30-plus years with brilliant, amazing advertising and products that people don't even think twice about, I don't think, about, case in point, paying over $1,000 for a phone, the iPhone 10. So I think it's, you know, it perceived value is a complete function, a direct function of branding because you're, you're creating, you know, brands live in the minds of consumers and you're creating associations and value propositions in consumers' minds about your brand. So what's the best way to create a solid brand? I mean, literally the guys out there and women out there listening that want to know what's the basics. I mean, if you had to tell somebody three secret tips right now to really get a brand created where do i start from what is my first step forward well it's funny i just had one of my clients is the 
largest construction company in one of the states, the United States. I don't need to say which one. And uh, just had this experience recently where I had all of the C-suite in a room for a day. And I would say the first step in the process is to get on the table everyone's idea of what it is, well, for lack of a better way to refer to it, what is our purpose and what is our passion? And you'd be surprised, even though you have the people all work for the same company, the chief marketing officer has one idea, the CEO has a different idea, the CMO has another idea, COO has another idea, the CFO. When you start, there's almost never a situation where everyone has written down the same thing. And that's kind of fun where you have them write it down before they come into the meeting to start the day so they can't change their answers as they hear other people's answers. So that's definitely the first step is figuring out, agreeing on what it is that the, the essence of the brand, which I say is, is what is our purpose and what is our passion? And uh, once you've done that, I mean, these days, I mean, as, as, as old as advertising, articulating that in a phrase, which oftentimes wants to take the form of what's you know, referred to as a tagline or a slogan. That can be incredibly helpful when you think about ones that have permeated the consciousness of consumers since a long time ago. Things like, you know, let your fingers do the walking, the antidote for civilization, the tightest ship in the shipping business, the ultimate driving machine, uh, just do it. When you get the right set of words that are the right external facing representation of the essence of the brand and you keep at it, it becomes a part of, Amer a part of culture and, and everyone knows it. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is when you figure it out, make sure you, you know, have enough, you know, 24, 48, 36 hour time period go by. So you feel like you actually have the right answer and then just be consistent over time. You know, I think the, you know, the ultra drive machine has been in use for, I think 40 plus years, four words, the same four words describe a global brand for over 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely agree that understanding your mission, your vision, and really making sure that that's a cultural aspect. Now, what would you say to a company that says, yeah, that's good and dandy, but I, I have eight technicians and two people in my call center. What do you do? Because I know you're, you're used to working with a little bit more of a national type, but I think you need to start, you need to pretend that you're a big boy. I'm sorry, that might have came out wrong, but you need to pretend that you're a large, huge corporation and people hate corporations. I call my main Tempe office now that we're in 10 states corporate and I hate corporations. But mm -hmm. the fact is we're, we pretended we faked it till we made it. You know what I mean? And what do you do to those small guys that say, you know, look, we're open weekends. We do drug tests. We're A plus on the BBB. How do you get them to start? I understand what you're saying is like, I'll agree on a plan for a brand, but where do I draw it up? What are the first questions I need to ask myself to determine, you know, you got the USP, unique selling proposition. And a lot of people don't understand that could be you carry the best person in the industry, but where do I get started if I'm just a smaller company and I really don't understand the concept of all this? I'm a big believer that the whole prospect of branding and proposition branding need not and, and is not complicated. It, it is not something that, you know, requires 
a team of really expensive experts. It should be kept really simple because a brand is like a person that you know. You know, your aunt is a brand. You know, your wife is a brand. It's like if I showed you three things that I, you know, I've never met your wife in three dresses, and you'd say, well, you know, she would never wear any of this. How do you know that? Because she's my wife and I know her. So she, you're familiar with what she likes doesn't like, and, and what she's the, the essence of her. It's no different than, you know, if I showed you a really clunky, badly designed, uh, cheap looking product, and I said, this is from Apple, you'd say that, that there's no way that's from Apple. I know Apple. They love design. They, they would never create something as, as bad looking and cheap looking and stupidly designed as what you're showing me because you know that brand. So whether you're big or small, it's, it has to start at the same place, which is why did we decide to form this company in the first place? What do we love doing? What is our mission? Why are we coming to work every day? And you start there. You might say something like, there's no way that that guy works at Microsoft. He just doesn't fit the part. I like that because you got to straight. so many times where I would say ethically and morally challenged by, we might have a great salesman who knows what it is, a great CFO. I, I can't tell you. I've had a lot of people make mistakes in the past and you got to make it challenge yourself and say, does this fit who we are? And by firing some of my best producers, I've got the greatest results. And that kind of sounds of the opposite of what would really happen, but they were like the bad apple and literally getting rid of them and staying true to the company. It's true to my mission and vision is so important. And I think that's a great example. Apple would not come out with a flimsy little thing that breaks, even though they might have a battery problem. <laughs> right, but see, exactly. But it is. See, you know that because you know you have experience. You know, some uh, a guy who, uh, who actually hired me four times in the advertising world, he would always say that a brand is the densest matter there is in the universe because a brand in consumers' minds is the repository for every every Apple support call you've made, every trip you've made into an Apple store, every iPod you've owned, every iMac you've used, every MacBook you've ever used or PowerBook, every Apple commercial you've ever seen, everything and every, it's all that sort of sits in your mind in a space with an Apple logo on it. So you have a very clear understanding of what that brand is and is not. So that's how you're able to say they would never design something like this. It's horrible looking. The design is stupid. It feels cheap. There's no way that's an Apple product. Right. And, you know, and that's when you know you've been successful. And when people can basically tell you if you're Apple as well as you could tell them, that's when you succeeded, when you've you got a closed loop from the brand or the company, the brand, and the consumer. If that becomes a closed loop, you're in branding heaven. So what is one of the biggest mistakes that most people do when they're establishing a brand? Because sometimes you get a bad connotation of a brand, too. Like, if you get a bad brand and it's not right, it could ruin you. So tell me a little bit about the biggest thing that catches you off guard or, or catches most entrepreneurs off guard when developing a brand? I would say there's two things mainly. One is because I do, I, I work with a lot of startups and the first thing you got to do is name the company. And these are all, you know, brilliant genius, 20 somethings. 
who could have gone on to Goldman Sachs or SpaceX, whatever, but they want to start their own company. So there's two main gangplanks you walk out on. One, the one gangplank is let's name the company. And the other gangplank is how do we want to articulate what we stand for? First mistake, I think, is names that aren't uh, what they call coin. Now, Google was a coin name. That doesn't mean anything. Now it means everything. But I actually prefer, if it's possible, you know, names that have some immediate meaning to a consumer that has to do with what you're actually doing. So Federal Express, or you send it, or I'll give you a crazy example, but it's so pervasive, and I, and I have to say it's so good, I'll just give it to you, MyPillow.com. Now, is there any doubt about what that business is? No, it's pillows. And this guy is a genius or whoever he's working with. I don't know if you've seen it, but he has like a 90-second commercial that runs now. There's no dialogue, no copy. It's just this sort of unfolding sequence of visuals and vignettes about, you know, he had the idea, he wrote it down. Yeah, I've seen it. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's it's my favorite commercial. It's absolutely brilliant. And for the best life to sleep in the whole wide world, you know, get MyPillow.com. I mean, I could sing the song for you. But you know, start mypillow.com. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's start. Let's start with a name. He could have called, you know, Cloud Nine or no. He called it mypillow.com. So the naming part is the first one. And, and I, I, I work with stars. So I, I and I had one uh, that's a client where I, I I met with him and I said I I just really think this name is just all wrong. And then they I work with them to change it. And they were lucky enough to be able to get the the uh, .com URL also. Because these days, you know, everything is taken. So I would say, to answer your question, the first place where you, people usually run into trouble is, is the actual naming of the company or the service or the product. And secondly, with uh, how they go about articulating what the product or the service, what, it's, you know, what the essence of it, what it stands for, how you want to talk about it. Right. Yeah, and that's really kind of searching your soul, too, a little bit and say, what do we want to be known for? I'd rather be a, a master of one trade than a jack of all trades. And I think in the right. home service industry, sometimes we become, we work on anything and everything, but we should become specialists. And, you know, back when I was picking my name, Mike, or Michael, I'm sure you've heard of this, but I chose A1 just because it fell first in the in the phone book. So A1 Garage Door Service. And, uh... If I could go back, I probably wouldn't have done that just because there's a lot of other A1s <laughs> and it doesn't well, I stand I, I, out. I, I, if, if, if you were a client of mine, I'd say that's probably pretty good because A1 means the best. And I know what garage doors are and I know I have one. And if I want to have the best garage door, I'd probably go check out A1. Yeah. You see, what I was always trying to figure out is how to tie that to when I first thought of A1, I thought of A1 steak sauce. And I wanted to kind of tie it into my brand, but I think that was a mistake, but it was something that everybody could relate to. Everybody's seen A1 steak sauce. So I was going to be like, listen, I'll give you a free steak if you get a better price. You know, that was back in the day, but I didn't really go through with that. But I was always trying to figure out a way, but it's nice because anytime there's an alphabetical order of companies, I'm always before AAA and all that stuff. Right. But um, yeah, I think my pillow. I mean, it's crazy because brilliant. I'm telling you, brilliant. And that commercial is my favorite commercial. It's just, 
you just can't help but watch it. And it tells his whole story. And it's, it's just, it's brilliant. I like it. Yeah, he does a lot of different things now. He used to have his old same commercial and uh, American Made in my state of Minnesota. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's all over. It's everywhere. And you know what's it crazy is. is I, I, I mean, he's, he's got to be making a fortune. He's got to be selling a ton of them. Well, I think he is, but how much money? I mean, I guess he's probably buying remnant space because there's no way he's paying full. I've bought in a lot of media. I spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on marketing, and I know how much it is to run for two minutes at a time. But you know what? If yeah. you're buying cable and you're doing enough and they're just throwing you in the filler space, but you'll get a lot of good space too. It's kind of like flying. What do they call that? Um Standby. Standby. But you get it most of the time. You know, it makes sense. Yeah. So in one of your interviews, you mentioned that brands should always be measured against three words. Simplicity, consistency, and durability. Right. Can you tell me a little bit more about what each three of those things mean and how that's applied to business? Yep. And I just actually finished one of my friend's uh, book called Insanely Simple. You know, I worked together on Next and Apple. And it's all about Steve's obsession with simplicity at Apple and how it really informs so much of their success. So simplicity is probably, the, as uh, I feel like I'm quoting Ken from the book, one of the hardest things to do because I think the definition loosely is there's nothing else you can remove. You've gotten down to the essence of something. But in terms of branding, simplicity in my mind refers to getting down to what the essence of the brand is. So in the case of BMW, it would be performance. In the case of Nike, it would be aspiration. In the case of Volvo, it would be safety. In the case of Apple, it would be you know probably cool. And uh, just keeping at it, keeping at it, keeping at it until you just, you've got it down to the most simple, non-buzzwordy, non-jargon language of what the essence of the brand is. Consistency is one of the things where it's amazing to me how infrequently you see it with marketers and branding, because you know, I'll use Geico as an example. I don't, I don't know who at Geico believes that having 15 different executions going against the same thing. I don't know whether they've tested it, or but it seems like they have 65 different commercials that don't look as or feel anything like each other. The only point of consistency in 15 minutes, we can save you 15% or more. Yeah. So that's the irony of Geico, because on the one hand, nothing looks at the gecko. They have all kinds of crazy stuff. But the one thing that they consistently over and over and over and over and over and over and over broadcast is in 15 minutes, you could save 15 percent or more on car insurance or on insurance. So there is an example of simplicity and consistency with the Geico, the slogan or the tagline example. And then durability to me kind of grows out of both, which is the BMW example, which is you stick with it. In the case of BMW, the ultra driving machine has been the, the words, the four words that have described a world-class global brand for over 40 years, which means that you put all of your marketing spend over 40 years into those four words. And again, I said, which means in BMW's case, I would argue probably, I would guess that that is a closed loop system between the brand and the consumer, because I think most people know those words. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, it's not easy to get that message out there now. You know, it's becoming, 
There's uh, programmatic targeting on Hulu. There's radio, TV, billboards. There's search engine optimization, pay-per-click, Facebook targeting, geofencing. There's, you know, we're coming into an age where it used to be so simple. I mean, I've been watching yep. this this show. It was about how Hugh Hefner kind of built his empire. And there was only three channels on TV yep. that everybody tuned yep. into. A fifth yep. of the country was tuned in, tuned into one of the, you know, it's crazy that yep. there was CNBC, there was ABC or CBS or whatever, I, three stations. And uh, it was just crazy ABC, to me. CBS, NBC. Yeah, there you go. You know, and yep. it's like, if you were on one of them, you were well known throughout the United States. I mean, and I don't think there's ever going to be a time like that again now, because the world is becoming so much technology in so many different funnels of if you like classic rock, that doesn't mean you listen to classic rock. You can listen to one of 10 deeper parts of classic rock. You know what I mean? That you could kind of get uh-huh. into. And it's, it's kind of scary in a way for, from a marketing perspective, because how do you get in front of everybody? And it's expensive. I mean, TV, radio, and billboards are not cheap when it comes to, really getting a brand out there, what do you think is the most effective and cost-effective ways to do it? Well, God, these days, that's a great question. And I would say that, you know, there's a there's an old expression, but no idea who actually said it first, but smart dime versus dumb dollar. In other words, you can, it, Apple, again, was another another great case because when you think about, one of the greatest campaigns ever created in the history of advertising, which is the Apple iPod Silhouettes campaign. Do you remember that? That's the original one where they're like, "Yep, yep, dancing around." Yep, and and you just it was all that you you was just the silhouette of the person, and you could see the iPod and the cord. Yep, and then they did a print the, the iconic white earbuds and the white cord. So that was the only advertising Apple was doing. And what they did was they would find these unbelievable outdoor locations for their billboards. I mean, just how they got these locations, who God only knows how. And then they had just one campaign that would run, you know, in a very targeted way. I'm not sure. I don't know what the media buys look like, but where they would be reaching people, but it wouldn't be some massive, you know, scorched earth campaign. And I think they traditionally spent a fraction of what their competitors spent and got infinitely more out of it because the work was so brilliant and because they had one campaign. Yeah. They didn't really mix it up in someone's head. They didn't give a bunch of no, different campaigns. Like, like, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, I'll give you another example from the, you're, you're too young to remember, but you know, the Maytag repairman, the Maytag repairman ran forever for decades. And it was the same thing. Every time, you know, the Maytag repairman has it just has nothing to do because Maytags just never break down. Well, it's Forever. true, yeah. You know, so the two challenges you have are trying to get consumers to remember you, notice you, and remember you, and trying to do that within you know the, the means that you have. And there's no such thing as unlimited Marcom budget globally was IBM in my experience. And they spent you know, over a billion dollars a year, but supporting a whole a whole lot of campaigns, a whole lot of media, and all over the world. And so, I think the 
ideal nirvana state is when you're putting all of the weight behind one core branding initiative. I, that's possible. That's so important to understand, and it's really so simple. And it's, but yet it's so complex because you got to stand behind it, and you can't lose faith in it. One of the people that I think about, which was before my time as well, was Mr. Whipple. Don't squeeze the Charmin. And mm-hmm. I've looked that whole, you know, Charmin took off because of that. But you know what I really think about a lot? And this is the new age of thinking is the Dollar Shave Club. Because that guy got right. so many views and he made a fun video that educated people that was yep. made him that kept him entertained and also yep. made them say, is this real? And right. I've been seeing these campaigns and Seriously, Michael, I'm, I'm really figuring out a way to do this for my own company because it's one way to do it organically. It's That was shared. It was funny. He put the famous bear in it. You got to have a bear in it. But he, the content and the way they copy wrote it was just impressive as hell. And uh, I've seen brands blow up because of that. Look at the, uh, what was that thing called a few years ago? The blanket you could put your hands out of. Snuggy or whatever. Yeah, right. The, that thing took off and it was meant to be a joke. And literally yeah. people wanted it so much they came up with the product. And yeah. it's just amazing to me how if you got a well done video that you put on social media and you could do so many things now, you could target people in so many ways now. You could hit them on age, gender. If okay. I wanted to yeah. find Okay, so now now I'm gonna give you the trying to say apolitical, but I'll give you the most recent, the most profound example. It happens to be political. Okay. One, no clear message. Make no America clear message. great again. And one candidate had four words from the day he came down the escalator to this day, you know, and make America strong again, make America safe again, make America rich again. Brilliant. Whether you love him or hate him, brilliant. No, he, he is by far... People. Michael, he is by far, look at, look at, he's been able to do this, like the Schumer shutdown, okay? He created a brand about that whole scenario where people could just think about it and say the Schumer shutdown. You can't not help about, say it was Schumer's right. fault for the shutdown. And that's what that's he right. does. He is right. probably one of the best experts at that in the world. And I know, like you said, we don't want to talk about this because there's so many politics, religion, but literally... I said Clinton was a good speaker. It's not about politics. It's about what people do very, very well. And that guy knows right. how to brand. He knows how to create exactly. a brand around. Look at Trump. Like, you think about it. It's a nice place to stay. I mean, literally. Well, and um, is, he, he did. He got his spending his for his campaign was a fraction. I mean, small, the, very, the very small. Over a, over a billion dollars. He spent a fraction of that. Yeah. You know, this, this just goes to show you, you know, and, and, you know, what happened was they sat down and said, what is my mission? Why am I running for president? Because I want to make America great again. We we want, yeah, we want to create the ultimate driving machine. That's why we go to work every day. That's why we started this company. We don't want to make buses. We don't want to make vehicles that are, you know, RVs. We want to make the ultimate performance driving machines. That's what we want to do. And that's, you know, and the thing is for most brands, take a look at Rolls Royce. They are what they are and it doesn't change. I mean, Rolls Royce is the same mission, I'm guessing, 
as they did when they when they first formed the company to make you know the most luxurious automotive experience that money can buy. Yeah, you know, I I told you when we got on the call, the reason I do this is I get so much out of these, and I got to tell you, right now my mind is just racing with ideas of. Because I came up with this concept of something just super simple, and it's uh, the choice has always been clear A1 from day one. And it's something that resonates, but it really doesn't give you like a reason to call us, except for you might remember us and think of us. But really, my passion that I speak about on every one of my meetings is if you could find a better, longer lasting part to all my technicians, if there's anything out there that's better, I want to carry it because we deliver the highest quality, best parts in the industry. And we really build a door to be undestructible. But at the end of the day, the A1 from day one is just something super simple that really does not. Yeah. And, and the thing was with, with the MyPillow guy, for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, get MyPillow.com. He's just picking up from legendary words to music, like nothing's as, as loving as something from the oven or from the Valley of the Jolly Ho, 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 Green Giant. I mean, you do it right, and you can't get it out of people's minds. And again, the the end game is to have a closed-loop marketing ecosystem where what you're putting out as a marketer or as a brand is can can and is played back verbatim by the consumer. You think kids don't know Tony the Tiger? It's great. I mean, every kid... The cynics will tell you, well, this is this is the you know you're preying on the minds of kids, you know, irresistible jingles, or you know, and and creating irresistible, you know, Tony the Tigers or Casper the Ghost or whatever. But in a, from a branding context, is what you're doing is if you don't exist in the consumer's mind, you don't exist. So you got to you got to get in there. So if, if it's day one for day one, if it's since day one, or make America great again. I don't think there's a voter in the United States of America, we think about it, who doesn't know Make America Great Again. Well, that was what Reagan uh, actually ran for. And Reagan, see, he's smart because he took it. Okay, so if you think about it, the brain works in certain ways. We think about a tangerine a lot like an orange. And if you could make them sound alike and really talk about them the same way, they're identical. And... That's the thing that he said, who was the best president on the right side, whoever ran, that changed history? And he said Reagan. So Reagan used to say, make America great again. That's what he ran on. So Trump turned back and he ran on the same stuff. So it's really, really Mm -hmm. interesting because I don't know if you knew that, but, you know, I get into uh, (laughs) politics maybe a little bit too much. But, uh, yeah, this this is really making me think a lot about I hear people and I. It's crazy to me when I think about the brands that I know. And and what's funny is I had a consultant come in, actually a friend of mine several years ago, and he goes, who is the biggest company in all of Arizona? And I'd give him the name, whether it was flooring or, or air conditioning or whatever. And he goes, who's the most expensive? And I said, it's them. And he goes, do you understand that? Is that something that you really understand that you don't have to be the cheapest to be the biggest. And the cheapest Mm -hmm. means you probably pay the less. You don't have any incentives for your employees. And I'm a big advocate of this, Michael. I talk about this all the time. So many people think they're ripping people off, but the first person they rip off is their employee that they're paying $12 an hour to, not letting any overtime, 
Don't give them any incentives to work there. Don't give them insurance. Don't give them any vacations. Don't give them any flowers on Mother's Day or, or Valentine's Day. It's like they think we won't screw our customer over, but yet here they are taking advantage of all their employees. And also, if a customer has an issue, literally they can't get to it because they only have two employees. So mm -hmm. I do think that they're not priced correctly. They think they're taking advantage of people, but yet they'll go out there every eight months to fix a garage door or an air conditioning unit or a gutter system. Whereas spend a lot more money up front and get it fixed for good and realize you're a specialist and you're the best and you should get paid for more. There's an old story. I'm sure you've heard this before, but a guy spent day after day after day after day and he had this creak in his floor and he finally called this guy out. And uh, the guy put a little nail. He found exactly where he needed to put it. And he charged the guy 200 bucks. And this is, might not be exactly how the story goes, but the guy said, what do you mean? I just paid $200 for a penny nail? And he goes, it's not about the nail. It's where I put the nail. It's the experience, mm -hmm. you see. And that's the biggest misconception, I think, in the home service industry is, is selling yourself short. But if you think about a brand, I would say Walmart's done a great job at saying we're the cheapest. But I would say that so many people, you cannot be like Walmart. Don't try to be the cheapest because it doesn't work. What What would you have to say to somebody out there that's listening? And I guarantee you there's hundreds, if not thousands of them listening that are saying the cheapest always wins. But that's not the case. What do you say to somebody like that? I would say that in only a few cases could... Is that possibly true? Because in most cases, if you're going to spend more than two seconds thinking about it, there's a difference. You can easily determine what the, what the difference in, in value or construction or quality is. It's so hard to get over that. I mean, let me ask you this, Michael. When you go shopping, let's say you needed to get a roof done and, and yeah. really try to try to envision the scenario of your house right now. You're going to redo your roof. What's going through your mind when you're listening to bids? Obviously, price is a, a factor, but realistically, who are you going to buy from if you got three quotes? Well, I think I would first eliminate all the common denominators, and I would I would like to think that if I got three bids and they're you know they're fairly decent from where they're coming from, that it's like if you got three applications for Harvard. And, you know, they've already passed through all the major filters. So, you know, you know the test scores are going to be pretty much the same. You know, the, the grade GPA is pretty much the same. Okay, so now what is going to distinguish one from the other? And it's going to be that unusual, unexpected thing. So in this case, in your example, it might be they're all, they're all quality. They all know what they're doing, but I just like this guy more. Or they're all good and they're all doing a decent job. And that being the case... I feel safe going with one that's slightly less because I know the quality of the work is going to be, is going to be what I want. But I think it, it boils down to eliminating what the common denominators are first and then saying, so what's left? If we know they're all going to be, they all know what they're doing. All the, the, the tools and equipment are all basically at the same level. So then, okay, then what is the difference between these three bids? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like the common denominator is the only thing is who's coming out there and selling it to you. So if you got somebody that can relate the number one thing I tell my guys is I know this is an easy, simple task for you, but imagine you're walking in, you never heard anything about it. First of all, 
you need to figure out what type of person you're dealing with. So that's why we do DISC assessment. You know, we really focus on teaching people personality profiling. Then we say, ask questions. And then we explain to people, because some people might have a different question, completely different than the last person you were with. And if you could really explain to people what they're getting and what's important to them, of course, price, but price only. Only 7% of the population truly buys on price if they understand the difference. And I've been on Amazon before and I've found two similar products and I buy the more expensive one. And so many Mm -hmm. times people do that. I mean, they're similar, but I say something says if you buy more expensive, it's probably made better. And they use little uh, adjectives like Mm -hmm. uh, I use ours are self-lubricating high cycle. Those are all adjectives, you know, things that I put in front of them. And we created a brand for our top of the line. It's called Max Life. And I actually trademarked it. It's called Max Life. Anything to do with A1 Garage or Max Life is lifetime warranty. It's the best you can get. It's been doing really well. I agree wholeheartedly with the, uh, I just love this conversation about branding. It's actually something I want to follow up with you on. um, Sure. This week coming up. But uh, so, I want to kind of pivot. We're running out of time here. I know you've got a a weekend to attend to here. So many teams operate at suboptimal levels due to lack of clarity. And, you know, I agree with that completely. I use organizational charts. I use job scopes. I use everything that I could do to give them clarity on what they're expected to get done. What kind of tools or approaches do you use to make sure your whole team is rowing in the same direction? Well, that's just a, to me. That's just an expanded, uh, analogous discussion that we were having about branding. Because what's the expression? If you don't know where you're where you're running, you're never going to get there. Right. So, so everyone has to understand what the goal is, and also they have to understand what the priorities are. Uh, so, in a team, and, and I'll back up one step further. The most critical thing, starting point for optimizing efficiency and functionality with the team is making sure everyone knows exactly what their role is and exactly what everyone else's role is. So the example I use, which may sound ridiculous at the face value, I usually show a picture of the Fantastic Four. There's the Hulk, there's, you know, Stretch Man, there's Field Force Woman, and there's Flame Man, you know. There's no doubt in anyone's mind who does what. The Hulk is never going to be Flame Man. Flame Man is never going to be Force Field Woman. Force Field Woman is never going to be Stretch Man. It's absolutely crystal clear what the role is of each individual and every other individual understands what everyone else's role is as well. Job, that's job number one. And, you, and you'd be amazed if you get eight people in a room who work together for a long time and you have them all write down, give each one another person's name and you come into the room prepared for the meeting having written down what Tommy's job is. And I read, I read out loud what Tommy's job is. And Tommy says, I haven't done that for about 18 months. I do this. You're kidding. I thought, but I thought, no, no, that's Blanche does that now. Oh, oh, I thought, but you'd be amazed for that fundamental, that starting point, how much confusion there is. That's the first thing. And then the next thing is it's getting hundred percent agreement, agreement and singularity about what the goal is. And there's no negotiating different ones once you, once the course leaves the barn. You know, it, it, everyone's got to be on board, rowing 
towards the same target or you're going to have problems. Yeah. And you see that a lot. And I don't think it's, I think it's a leadership problem. I think it's the fact that no one ever really realized where their mission is. And, and I think the branding needs to be right at the forefront of the mission, the vision and the brand. The brand is like the, if you had to put it in a triangle, you got the mission on the bottom left, the vision on the bottom right, and then it shoots forward upwards towards the brand. You know, Mike, I had a... I would would advise you, I advise other people, an even simpler way to think about it is no one leaves the room until we are all in agreement about what our purpose and our passion is. You solve those two things and you get everyone's agreement. That will last until you outgrow those two things and it changes for some reason. But think about it, you know, for the most part, McDonald's, hamburgers, french fries, milkshakes. A billion customers later, hamburgers, french fries, milkshakes. You know, they, they sort of expand and collapse a little bit. But for the most part, they'll never not sell hamburgers, milkshakes, and french fries. Hasn't changed. I agree. You know, Kentucky Fried Chicken is about chicken. Fried chicken. That's, that's what Kentucky Fried Chicken is, whether you call it KFC or not. So until such time that we get into that's what we're about. Yeah, I think that's important. When you think about Donald Trump, even though he's involved in a million different things, I kind of think of him as like a higher end, you know, you don't really go to a Trump golf course and expect to play a par three beat up course. You know, it's like, that's right. and that's the hardest part for me is I think, cause I'm involved in many things and you kind of got to pick about what, what do you want to be known about you? Is it going to be your, that's right. I mean, you know, you don't, people don't expect to get into Rolls Royce and see, that smell, that really bad kind of fragrance that they that bad cab drivers have on the dashboard of their cabs and big furry dice hanging from the rearview mirror. You don't really expect to see that. Smell that. Because <laughs> it's a Rolls Royce, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're anyway, absolutely listen, right. I don't, know, I don't know if you have my book or not, but you can get, and feel free to share this with your listeners, but you can get my book on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, and uh, it, there's a lot about in there about branding, but if you want to become a better speaker presenter, whether it's a eulogy or a toast at a rehearsal dinner or a presentation to your colleagues or friends or whatever, by all means, go to Amazon.com and look for Just Add Water by Michael Baldwin. I am going to do that. I was just going to ask you how to get more of you. What's a way, if, if somebody wants to reach out to you and say, look, I need help with my brand. I want to become a better speaker. What, what's the best way to get you, Michael? www.baldwin.com. Okay. And then one of the questions I always ask is, yeah, I always have a few favorite books. I have probably five of them. I have about a dozen of each of them on my bookshelf because I hand them out to my workers. But um, what are some of the books that you'd recommend other than, and trust me, I'm going to go buy this book today just to add water. But mm-hmm. If you have a couple books that you really think just completely, and I don't really care if they're business related, I don't care what it is, but what are some of the books that really impacted you and you say, you got to read this if you're going to own a business? I would say my friend's book, uh, Insanely Simple by Ken Siegel. I just read it myself. That's one. I would say the book I just mentioned, which is my book. (laughs) Yep. And there's another one. um, Ken has a second book called Think Simple which just came out. So he's got two of them. I'm also reading them. I'm, I'm halfway through Satya Nadella's book, you know, the new Microsoft CEO called Hit Refresh. 
Okay. Which is pretty interesting. There's a lot in there about doing things right way, wrong way, culture change, leadership. Um, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, we're we're a big on culture right now. It's so crazy how a company starts growing and the culture is so important. And uh, it's yeah. about you know, there's that book called Built to Last, and it talks a lot yeah. about that as well. Yeah, well, listen, Michael, I, I'm going to reach out to you later this week. I'm going to buy both those books. I've got uh, Just Had Water and Insanely Simple. I'm definitely going to check out more of the website. I enjoyed this, and it really helped change my mind not changed it, but just really makes me think a lot more about just the success of simplicity on a message right. that resonates, right. you know? Yep. And right. if you could keep it short, simple, sweet to the point, what is that kiss? Keep it simple, stupid. Well, but, you know, I'll give you a lot of things. My latest favorite is the, you know, Ted talks. Oh yeah. Okay. Well there, it's very simple. Spreading ideas. Sure. Spreading ideas. That's what they're about. That's the essence of what Ted is all about. I love that. And, you know, there's so many things I could think of right now that really have a short, easy, simple message. And I do think it's difficult because all of us want to be more than maybe like I, I want to be giving beautiful garage doors. But guess what? We do a lot of service and we give. A, mm -hmm. a, but guess what? If you don't have enough money to get it done with the best you could get. We have a number one, two, and three. We'll make it just as good as our competitors. We'll make it better. We'll make it the best. And yep. there's so many different facets that really you got to choose from. But I think all of us get in the business to make money, but we can't say our mission is to be the most profitable in the industry. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, I think it's, uh, I think it's really finding it. I like the idea of the passion because of course there's the purpose. The purpose is to make money and be the best of what you are. I mean, no matter what, typically do the mm -hmm. best of what you're mm -hmm. doing, but you got to find out what to specialize in and then find out if you're passionate about that. And I think that's a lot of soul searching. I think you got to dig deep for yep. that. So, yep. well, Michael, I got to tell you, I got a lot out of this. I really appreciate taking up your uh, Sunday and I'm sorry I was My late pleasure. and um, no I'm, I'm going to read these books. I'm going to get a hold of you this week and uh, we'll Good. hopefully have you back on. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks, Michael. Have a great weekend. See All right. You too. Bye-bye. This was the Home Service Expert Podcast. Now listen up. Do you want to dominate your market? Triple the profit you make without working those long 12-hour days, seven days a week? If the answer is yes, my team and I are opening up some new time slots to help you solve your biggest business challenge. Just go to homeserviceexpert.com forward slash discovery and book a free 30-minute call with our team today. I will repeat that, homeserviceexpert.com forward slash discovery and book your free call today today.